something outside. What is that? Radio, Monster X Radio listeners, this is your host, Gunnar Monson. As you might know, I am also the founder of the Sasquatch Coffee Company. Go to www.squatchcoffee.com and check it out. Squatch Coffee, have you tried it yet? This is our part two of a, a two-part episode, at least two parts. It went uh, The last hour went by so fast and was... Uh, full of, of information with our, our friend Thomas Seward, uh, but uh, he is back with us today. So, hey, Thomas, how are you this morning? Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How, how are things? In, are you, I, I'm assuming you're in Canada today. Yes, I'm in Kent, Washington right now. So, um, last time we were talking about uh, uh the First Nations people interaction with with uh, the subject of Sasquatch as well as um, a ton of other stuff. Um, you are the host of of uh, a new show called Sasquatch Island. Let, let's pick up with that and, and how did that come to be and, and uh, what is that all about? Sasquatch Island is in reference to Turtle Island, what us North American Indians have referred to North America as being Turtle Island because it looks like a turtle from space. But because all of the indigenous tribes throughout Turtle Island have stories about these hair-covered creatures larger than humans, and they have names and everything, and they have different views towards it generally, but they all seem to speak on the same thing, being bipedal, covered in hair, uh, pretty much nocturnal. And so I said, well, why not? referred to Turtle Island as well as Sasquatch Island because it is covered in Sasquatches which is the Canadian Chehalis name that was derived from how they say Sasquatch or with North American Indians, other ones, or other people refer to as Bigfoot so Sasquatch Island is you know to go out and talk to my fellow North American Indians and hear their stories perspectives and possibly encounter stories to the Sasquatch Bigfoot in their traditional territories. You know, when you look at the Seminole people down in Florida and you hear people speaking about the skunk ape as well as them, and then, of course, you got uh, California with all the reports and all the different Native tribes, and Canada, Washington State, you know, you think about it, and, you know, it's such a wealth of information what, the North American Indians have to say about the Sasquatch because, as I'm finding out, it's not a question of this creature's existence. It's, yes, we've 
shared our traditional territories with them since the dawn of our creations. So instead of trying to take a perspective like a lot of the academics do in this field and skeptics, of course, that it's, you know, prove it, prove it, prove it, and it doesn't exist, and it's not going to exist until we have conclusive scientific proof. You know, I don't have time for that. I'm a, a Canadian Indian, so my belief is, yeah, they exist, so I'm just going down that path of existence, but getting the different stories and perspectives, because number one, you know, a lot of our elders, you know, um, we just had one from northern Vancouver Island, uh, Camp River region, just pass away yesterday, you know, even there goes another one, and you know, every time a person passes an elder, those stories are in songs, and everything they know of our culture and heritage is gone forever, so we need to record it, and you know, it's not just for my tribe, it's for all tribes, and you know, I think in doing this, you know, it's been sort of a taboo subject for so long, and even with a lot of First Nations and North and American Indians, they're still pretty, you know, apprehensive to even speak about it. Some that's their their laws, they will not speak about it or share it, and I totally respect that. But it's the ones that are willing to, you know, say, yeah, we have to get our story out there. We need to share our story so that maybe maybe the stories about it in our tribe will be recorded forever and others will know about us and then of course we have like red squatching that i went to in nebraska with the omaha tribe barry and Derek webster you know they're doing tours and uh, i just heard recent yesterday there's another native apparently down around uh i think it's new mexico or or uh, um arizona that is doing tours as well expeditions like i do so for the people that are out there you know they a lot of people need to get word that these north american indians are sharing through expeditions and tours their perspectives and stories about the sasquatch you know how you know that's unique it's exciting it's for people that weren't brought up in our cultures you know it's, it's a new chapter a new door into sasquatch bigfoot um, equation so that they can get more data to help them hopefully find these creatures where they live and where they research. So Sasquatch Island, uh, the show we're filming with Wild Woman Productions, Victoria Williams and Amanda Williams, myself, and uh, I've reached out to other North American Indians, so Winona up in Canada, Rudland Kirk, Ruland Kirk, uh, Nancy in Arizona. I um, can't remember the other people's names in different states and provinces I've reached out to, but the, everyone seems to be very excited that, hey, yeah, come do an episode with us or I'll help participate in any way we can. And, you know, it's a lot of people have been asking me lately, you know, you sure have a lot of irons in the fire because they hear about how I'm reached out and am reaching out to the American casino tribes. They want people to know about their casino. They want people to go to their casino resort. That's a given. But with 268, I think it is, or more North American Indian tribes with casinos in the United States, that's a lot of competition. And then you got to factor in the non-Indian casinos, Vegas, Reno, Atlantic City, elsewhere, and it's very competitive. So how do you get people there? Well, in Washington State, Tulalip, resort and casino owned by the um 
tribe, three tribes up there. I can't remember their names now, but it'll come to me. When you drive by there, you see this giant killer whale pod breaching and finning and their massive fountain. And you can't miss it when you go down the I-5 freeway. And when you're in places like Vancouver and you're jumping on uh, different trains and that that are for public transportation and even billboards, you see that whale design and uh, you see the Tulalip Resort and Casino. And what it is is very good marketing, good advertising, because they're trying to be more competitive than the other 11 casino tribes in Washington State. So that's how Indian business is. We do it like we did back in the old days. We're warriors, always have been warriors, so we have to advertise aggressively. You know, it's a campaign that we must win. We must draw people to our resorts. So I thought about it, and I said, hey, well, these guys want people to go to resorts. They got hotel rooms. They got conference rooms. They got slot machines and everything for games to play for entertainment. And just like when I went to Ocean Shores to the um, Sasquatch, Sasquatch Summit, Summit, yeah, in 2015, I thought, you know, that was pretty cool. You know, I had a lot of fun staying there and going into the casino and nice cold beer to drink while I was going to the conference and. You know, so I thought, you know, I'm going to approach these tribes and say, hey, I'm putting together a team of people like Brenda Harvey Harris and um, Barry and and his brother, Derek Webster from uh, Nebraska. I've got Winona Ruland Kirk. She's interested, a Canadian. Actually, she's Lakota, Dakota, and Lakota. All three tribes from the United States is their bloodlines. But she grew up in Alberta, British Columbia, in a Indian reservation that has, to this day, a lot of Sasquatch activity. And that's why she's interested in the subject. And then there's another fellow, I believe he runs a, a group called Kindred Spirit. And he's a shaman, so he's the spiritual side. And he's Indian. And I reached out to another person yesterday. Um, he's Indian. So I'm putting this team together. And then I'm talking to dancers from up in Vancouver Island way. You know, you got the Kwakwakiwak, my tribe, and there's probably three different commercial dance groups that I can approach, and one of them will definitely step up. And if not, I have Peggy to do the Junokwa dance to show our Sasquatch and also to do the quest to show our smaller non-Sasquatch, a spiritual bipedal form known as Bukwis, which we talked about before. And then, of course, you got the Haidas from the Queen Charlotte Islands that's now known as Haida Gwaii, and they have their dance of the Gogeet. And up in northern British Columbia in 2007, I went to the Hubaye in March. It's a gathering of different northern coastal tribes and in- interior tribes. And, uh, you know, Shimshan and uh, uh, Nishka. And it's just a celebration of the winter's over, and they're showing all their dances. Well, me and my kids were just floored when all of a sudden the doors of this gymnasium we were all sitting in with bleachers, like a basketball gymnasium, the fire doors in the back corner opened up, and having to crouch comes this their version of the Sasquatch. I can't remember what it was called. But I believe it was, uh, I won't even say it. I don't want to disrespect their names and their creature, but this big Sasquatch crouches and comes into the floor and with the drums pounding and dancing and it's just a beautiful long-haired costume and the dancer is on stilts so this thing was like eight feet high 
and it's just amazing. And uh, then you have the Coast Salish from the Fraser River area, uh, Chehalis tribe, you know, the ones where the word Sasquatch comes from. Well, they had uh, two masks taken and by non-Indians decades ago, and one of them just got returned, and they just danced it for the first time uh, just a, a while back. And it just looks like what Sasquatches look like and what everyone talks about what they look like. And it's got a great story. And then, of course, I'm sure I can find a few more tribes that have dances, like the New Chandler, possibly, from West Coast Vancouver Island. Uh, maybe the New Hulk from Bella Coola on central British Columbia's coast and just north of there, the Hillsup from Bella Bella. And I know where Les Stroud went to Clem 2, the Kittisoo Heihei, they have a Sasquatch dance as well. So I'm getting word out through the modern-day moccasin telegraph, the Internet, and through podcasts. And thank you very much, Gunner, for having me on here. And to other North American Indians that, hey, we're going to have a conference that is going to rock the Bigfoot Sasquatch world. You know, we're getting her on like Donkey Kong, as uh, some of the Red Squatchers like to say about the whole subject. And, you know, can you imagine going to a conference that's not the same old speakers up there talking about the same old stuff? You know, I even approached uh, Dr. Meldrum, and he's keen to come because we need a scientific perspective. And I don't, personally, I don't know any North American Indian scientists, doctors in the field, so... You know, get the word out, everyone, and contact me if you know someone I can get a hold of because we want to have a conference that's just going to be, you know, mostly North American Indians uh, speaking about different subjects and the creatures, showing their dances, uh, having uh, mask carvers there demonstrating, making Junakwa masks and whatever they call the creature. And and, uh, even got a hold of uh, Beater here in Washington State, and she's going to have Junakwa design a mine, and she's going to make some beaded patterns you know, pendants and covers for moccasin tops and so forth. So, you know, you can just imagine going to a conference now that's developed like that. And, of course, right back to your question, you know, what is the television show Sasquatch Island? Well, I think that encompasses it. And, you know, the conferences that hopefully these casinos pick up and host, and we get this tribe together of all these people in the know about Sasquatch Bigfoot and the arts of it and dances and we start traveling around North America you know can you imagine you know people like I'm seeing on internet daily you know when that people were talking about the International Sasquatch Conference coming up in eastern Washington Kennewick in September first week of September and I'm a speaker there and my wife Peggy is going to be dancing Junokla and Bukwus there as I talk on stage and everything, and I hear all these people, oh, I wish I could come there. It's so far from Florida, so far from Texas, and so forth. You know, so I listen to the people on Sasquatch Island and other groups that I post on, on Facebook and emails and phone messages. I listen to you people out there, and you guys want that, so I'm developing exactly that, and we're going to hopefully bring it to your home state, province, or territory. And this is what we need in the Sasquatch Bigfoot community because it's going to bring more North American Indians out and come step up and hopefully come step on the stage or in front of the mics, in front of the cameras, and share their perspectives to the creatures. And from what I've seen in places like Nebraska and Vancouver Island, uh, 
and uh, I hear about in other places known as Indian reservations throughout Canada and the U.S., and I hear these stories from my fellow indigenous people, and they got it on like Donkey Kong. They got Sasquatches all over the place because we believe in them, and we know they exist. And when you hear stories about Sasquatches digging through dumpsters and, you know, banging on house walls and Indian reserves, uh, standing on the porch of someone's place in Nebraska, and these two twin boys, I think they were twins anyway, telling me, and you could see the terror and fear in their faces and hear it in their voices as they're talking, telling me about how the Sasquatch was standing on their porch, you know, that very week. So it's, you know, something that, as Indians, we're apprehensive to invite people onto our reservations and share our stories. And we have a good reason for that, but the tides always must change. And that's what I'm helping to do is change this tide so that hopefully a lot of the Indians are going to come forward and like myself and others that are sharing our perspectives and stories about these creatures and our research efforts and our population, the numbers in our Indian reserves and traditional territories. So it's a whole change of tide coming, people. And, uh, you know, Moxon Telegraph, modern-day smoke signals, the Internet, phones, of course, up to you as listeners get it out don't just end by smiling and nodding your head and go oh, that sounds cool i think i might go to one of those be like us indians chatter and sasquatches chatter 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 get it out you know everyone's got to hear about this and hopefully some people will be indians and say hey i better give tom a call i got a good story i got a good mask i got a good dance and we'll add them to the conference list and to the filming of sasquatch island list and you know it's just going to make it all better for all of us there you go why will it yeah, I like, I mean, this This is a, something completely u- unique. It's never been done before. Just like um, Sasquatch Island is a perspective uh, that's not been commonly shared. I mean, uh, most of the, the stuff about Bigfoot Sasquatch has, you know, been very sensationalized. Um, and there's a completely different perspective and respect and and um, relationship with these creatures with the First Nations people than say that the European, you know, uh, us white folks. It's it's uh, completely different. It's we got you know we got to see it and it's and most people uh, the layman look at it as as uh, a legend, you know, something silly and and it's just in in your culture, it's just accepted as a matter of fact. I mean, you you, you know they exist. They're just they're just another part of uh, the animal world. I mean, it's it's completely different. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's just another. You know, some tribes look at it as just another tribe. Um, you know, I can't like Kwakwakiwak Nation. You know, some you know, and some of the writings and some of the people even say that it. You know, it has the area of the spiritual realm, the Junakwa, and that's why you see on the totem poles of the old days, you know, hollow eye sockets representing something from the spiritual realm. And then a lot of us just look at it as, yeah, just, you know, just a Sasquatch. You know, you don't put it into a classification of um, relic humanoid, primate, or spiritual. Yeah, it's a Sasquatch. It's out there. So, you know, it's like a deer, like a bear, cougar. You know, 
know, and we can sit here all day and debate on what it is, and it's all speculation and, you know, uh, hogwash, basically, because we don't have one to study. And, you know, that's why I focus on, you know, hopefully we can get this conclusive proof. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure, you know, with some of the projects I have lined up here have late, you know, we're going to see it. Hopefully, you know, conclusive proof come forward, but I hopefully it'll happen by cooperation between the indigenous peoples, you know, finally saying, yeah, okay, let's put this together and release it. Or maybe it's going to be someone finally giving the First Nations, you know, what we deserve, equality, you know, when you look at it, you know, from an Indian's perspective, you know, um, all these shows that are out there and still out there, you know, if and when there is Indian participation, well, there's your 2.3 minutes, and uh, when the checks come from the <laughs> network, uh, you're not getting any. <laughs> you know, so you have to look at it from our way, and, uh, you know, that's why things, that's why I've, you know, I always call it Indianuity. You know, you got to look at things uh, a little differently. you got to um, not follow, like, the sheep pack, or nor can you be, like, unfortunately, a lot of us Indians were for generations browbeat you know stay within the confines of your indian reserves and don't be seen or heard from unless we want to see you or hear from you and that's not going to be very often you know that's what it was like so from an indian's perspective it can people always wonder and scratch your head oh they clam up all the time and they don't say anything and well i wonder why so that's what i'm trying to change and by doing that i'm all for a positive cause you know we're going to get things out about those sasquatch bigfoot that are number one correct because i just read a book the other day um on sasquatch bigfoot and i just went oh my god they're calling the bakush the sasquatch no go to the umich the cultural center's website in alert bay umich.ca and it tells you right in there if you're writing a book about sasquatch and you want to put any perspective about the kwakwakiwak first nation Number one, you should come ask our permission if you're going to put anything in your book or your television show and have our participation. And if you don't, go to the Umitsta CA website and read about the Sasquatch, which is Junokha, and the spiritual creature known as Bukwus, so that you can separate them so that if you are going to go plagiarize our stories and our history and use our crests, because you got to remember, their crests, our stories of these creatures are private property of the Kwakwakiwak tribes families so in our law you can't just go talk about it you have to ask our permission get our permission so when you write about it and all of a sudden someone's you know and it's in numerous books people are referring to the book as the sasquatch or the kwakwakiwak no you know it's absolutely wrong that's you know just totally wrong that's like saying jesus christ is a muslim you know you don't do that kind of stuff so that's why you know through the years i of rolling my eyebrows and banging my head against the wall, I said, wait a second, you can be a whiny Indian about this, like a lot of people do, or you can learn a little bit more about this television production and everything and go do it. So I started working decades ago. I remember doing uh, X Monsters from BBC. I did a segment with them. Um, even though they trounced it, they were trying to debunk the whole thing. Pompous, bloody English people doing like they usually do, twisting things around. But and then I did uh, Monster Quest, I believe it was called, when it first started years ago. I was there on there with the same episode with Todd Neese from the American Primate Conservancy, a good friend of mine and who I work with with that conservancy. 
And as you know, because we went in Operation Sea Monkey, but it's, you know, it's learn, you know, new things, ingenuity, adapt, improvise and adapt. And then now, you know, you look at what I'm doing, it's, you know, scares the hell out of me sometimes when I think about it going, you've never thrown a conference before. You help throw conferences when you're in Aboriginal Tourism in British Columbia as a director. And, uh, but to actually go out and put one together and then, you know, I just thought, you know, every, everyone's got to learn somehow and what's the best way to jump up, up to your neck in the pond and get wet. So that's what I'm doing. And the television shows, you know, it's adapted now. Where we've got Sasquatch Island, our own, and we're having a heck of a good time out there filming. When we were in Seattle last month, you know, we're downtown in Occidental Square with that big, huge Kwapakiwak Junakwa, and we caught it at the perfect time after winter, so it's all covered in green lichen or whatever that moss is growing on it, and it looks super mm-hmm. spooky, and we had the high depth and got some good pictures of that. And, you know, Seattle itself, there's so much in Seattle that people don't know about. You know, you got the Burke Museum up at the University of Washington, and they have a phenomenal carving of a tunahua with coppers in her hand raised above her head. They have a stone carving of a Sasquatch and display and they have masks downstairs and then you go to downtown Seattle and they have one of the most I guess one of the better uh, West Coast Native Indian displays but it's mostly Kwakwakiwak from Northern Vancouver Island which I was really amazed at and they have these beautiful Junakas in their house posts from one of the villages and I know the story on that and they got masks in there and and then you go to the galleries at Pike Place Market. There's three West uh, Native Indian art galleries there, and I work with one of them. And uh, they got all kinds of Sasquatch Bigfoot carvings from the different tribes. And then you go down the waterfront, and it's just Sasquatch Bigfoot scrog everywhere. T-shirts, coffee cups, shooter glasses, keychains, stuffy animals, stickers, fridge magnets, you name it. It's just overrun with Sasquatch stuff especially this year. And, you know, a lot of people that are coming here to jump on the cruise ships, you know, you remember that, you know, Sasquatch Island, you know, we have Hamumu Adventures as well, where we do walk the Seattle Sasquatch Safari. So we take you, I take you through Seattle, showing you all this stuff and telling you the First Nations perspectives and my encounters and other stories about it. And then my wife, Peggy, she'll dance the Junokwambakwis for you. So, you know, the different steps of these two creatures and you know the separation between the spiritual bukwus and how it's small and then you see the what we call the sasquatch the junahua and you see her dancing and just like you would in a big house in a potlatch so you know we've sasquatch island which is homumuadventures.com you know like people say to me well you got a lot of irons in the fire so to speak and i go yeah well it's my career i've always been in eco-cultural tourism and now I've sort of kicked it up a notch. But, you know, I get to do things. I go to Nebraska hang out with the Rez watching guys. And uh, we're Indians, of course. And, you know, I've been invited to other places. So I get to see a lot more of Turtle Island. And I get to hear more about the Sasquatch Bigfoot from different tribes. But I'm going to share it with everyone. And that's the good thing. There you go. <laughs> so, um, first, yeah, I'm still. Can you hear me? Yep. Your audio, your audio okay. uh, changed a little bit there. 
sound like okay, you I'll dropped fix it your mic. Hold on just a sec, folks. I'm going to have to call Thomas back. Yeah, it's interesting. I the the whole First Nations Native peoples. Uh, here we go. He's back. Hey, Thomas. Welcome back. Hi, I'm back again. Yeah, I actually <laughs> knocked something on the phone, but we're back again. Okay. Um, for, so, where can folks find find uh, Sasquatch Island, the, your TV show? Is it out available oh, now? And it's not out yet. We're still in production right now, and uh, we're in editing and everything right now for the first few episodes. And uh, we're going to be filming more ongoing. We're scheduled July up in the Northwest Territories to. Um, go up there and you know, people hear about uh, Naga and uh, from the Dene tribes up there in Northern Crees. Um, the best way is just join Sasquatch Island, the Facebook group. And if you're not in the Facebook group, you know, just send me an email. And if you want to communicate with me, try to use my email address, tom.seawitt at gmail.com. Um, people, a lot of people like using Facebook messaging and all that stuff. And man, you just, Everything gets lost in space because you get so much people coming through, as you probably know, at Facebook. So it's just emails the best or phone me. Um, Sasquatch Island, Facebook group, you can go through there. Like I say, private message me your information as well. And then hamumuadventures.com. This pick of happy cow cow. H-A-M-O-O-M-O-O adventures.com. Hamumu Adventures. And everything's there, of course, all the contact information. Awesome. So, you've had some personal encounters. So that you're you're not talking, and and there's the you know, uh, the acceptance of of Sasquatch as a real creature in in your culture. But you you've had uh, personal encounters that that leave no doubt. Um, can you share uh, some of those with us? Uh, First, well, I lived out in the bush since 1989. I got put out there as a, a native tribal watchman in our abandoned native village in the summer season, and I was supposed to clean it up, which we did with weed eaters because it was abandoned for 20 years. And, you know, coastal rainforest is jungle. It took it over, so we opened up the big house remains, trails, built an outhouse, opened up the fallen totem poles that were on the ground throughout Mama Lalakula, village of the last potlatch, they call it. But it's actually known as Mimkwam um, least by our people. And uh, we've cleared it all up, and these tourists came and everything, and I was a watchman there for 1989-90. And then after that, the tribe quit funding it, so I took over privately with Village Island Tours, and I would open up more campsites through the Broughton Archipelago for sea kayakers, do tours every day in the abandoned native village. And, uh, you know, just basically lived out in bush in a 20, I had a 26 foot trailer when I first started with a little 10 foot addition, like you saw an operation sea monkey all caved in now and broken apart. But we lived out in bush and, you know, we went there one day and we had one was sleeping behind the trailer and my partner that came in with me, Trevor, he, he spooked it and it jumped up and ran into the bush. And by the time I got outside, I could just smell it, you know, stink. 
and uh, we couldn't see it, of course. You know, those things move like the wind through the forest, as most people know. And then after that, that's when the incidents started happening where we were putting things together going, maybe those wolves we heard that time weren't wolves because they sure sounded different, the howling. And, you know, we didn't really know anything about these creatures other than a few shows I'd seen and, you know, some books I'd read. And I certainly hadn't heard any vocalizations until I got out there. And that's when talking to different people from the region and that's when they said, yeah, they they start, you know, making a lot of noise. That's where their lips are puckered up on the masks we have started putting all the pieces together and sure enough you know next year when we're out there at the end of uh, September we could hear the vocalization from island to island two two different creatures and we know darn well they weren't wolves they weren't and we don't have coyotes out there and they were sure as heck weren't owls not that loud and uh, 1991 no in early 90s I think it was not, I can't remember the exact date I'm getting old I'm 53 now but I was running a commercial salmon seine boat, and on uh, days when I was on that part of the coast fishing in August and September, when I wasn't fishing with the commercial salmon seine boat and my crew of five, I was anchored out in Village Island doing native tours because I used to make 10 bucks a person. Some days you can get 100 people in that village. It's 1000 bucks cash on the barrel had no income tax because it's on Indian Reserve, and you don't have to report it to any government official. So, you know, cha-ching, it was good money. So I was in there doing uh, that. And one night when we were anchored out in Native Anchorage, and my trailer's up on the beach with the addition, and it's still in pretty good shape. You know, my buddy uh, from Alert Bay, you know, rest his soul, but his nickname was Sparkplug. And, uh, and you know, he was a distant relative of mine and a bushman. He used to stay in there all the time. And, well, we're anchored out. We heard something on the beach, a whistle. Oh, actually, the first thing we heard was it sounded like someone hitting metal. And right away I thought when I heard this, you know, hour after darkness, when I heard this bang, first thing I thought was, oh, it must be one of those metal five-gallon kerosene cans empty underneath the trailer. And because it was hot, it expanded during the day, and now it's cooling. It contracted and, you know, made that banging noise like metal drums do all the time and then i thought about it and i said no we removed those cans last year they're not under the trailer no more and then that's when you know we were looking me and dean my crew man he's a native indian too we're looking at the trailer moon's out there's no wind and uh, you could see two big shadows go in front of this trailer now you can just picture a 26 foot long trailer you tow behind your pickup truck that's what it was. So, you know, it's got to be what the doors, um, what the hell is the door jam? Seven feet. So the trailer itself has got to be eight foot high. And then you've got the wheels on top of that. So you're looking at probably from the ground to the top of the trailer roof is 10 feet. But the two shadows we saw, one of them being bigger, of course, it wasn't that high. It was like more than two thirds the distance. So it was well over six foot, six and a half feet. And these two shadows go by the trailer, and, you know, it's just like, holy. And you get this big, but it's dark, so you don't know for sure. And then you get this big stink. Wall is yakbala, big stink. And it just smells like when you're in the city and a street person with a shopping cart passes you real close, and you accidentally keep breathing, and you smell that rotten, stink, sour, gag you right now human stench of that street person. 
and who knows how many months they've gone without a shower, and you just smelt it, and now you want to gag. Well, that's what we smelled ten times worse. That whole bay just filled. It was like almost wanting to make your eyes water, like someone having a real bad fart close to you. Man, it was just nasty. And then, you know, we sitting there, we've got a Coleman stove with a big, huge pot of crabs cooking. I went over and turned the gas off because, you know, it makes that noise when it's cooking. And we're listening and listening. And I opened the galley door, and my girlfriend and uh, my crewman were playing cards. And they had the boom box up a little bit, and they're laughing and everything. And I went in, I turned the boom box down, and I said, Hey, you guys be quiet. We got something on the beach. So I walked back on the deck beside Dean, and we're watching and listening. And uh, you hear Trevor inside, Jojo, give me a cigarette. And she starts giving him heck because he spent all his money on the weekend on things other than cigarettes. And as a fisherman usually does in port. Anyway, she gives him a cigarette and he comes out. And Trevor's a, he was a chronic smoker like all of us. And he comes out and he puts his foot on the bulwark of the boat on the starboard side where we're standing. And he's smoking his cigarette and, you know, it's about just started it. And all of a sudden he heard that uh, whistled chirp again. And it was sort of like this. A whistling chirp and uh, real loud. And Trevor looks at me and he's got big eyes and big nose and he's a, a white guy. And he's like, Tom, what the heck was that? And I said, what do you think it is? That's our visitor from two years ago, come or a few years ago, come back to see us. I think he brought his partner because there's two of them up there. And he just, and Jojo, she comes out on deck about the same time and she's like, oh, the beach stinks tonight. And Dean, who grew up with her on Cortez Island and he used to clam dig for extra money as kids and teenagers, he looks at Jojo and goes, Josie, when have you smelled the beach like that at low tide? Besides that, it's almost high tide, he goes. And she comes beside me and grabs my arm and says, what is it? And I said, I think we have a tunnel on the beach, Sasquatch two of them and trevor you see him flick his cigarette overboard he's just like doesn't want any part of this and he's a bushman but you know he's the one who spooked the one when i was sleeping behind the trailer a few years before and you know he's heard the stories from his area where he grew up in central british columbia and quenelle well he comes goes off deck to the galley you hear him open the engine room door that closes. You hear him go down the ladder across the metal grates, the engine room. You hear him open the big steel bulkhead door that leads into the forecastle where the crew sleeps in the bow part of the ship. And slam, the door goes. That's the last we saw Trevor for the night. He wasn't coming back out. He didn't want no part of this. So Dean and I, of course, were, you know, curiosity's up. So me, him, and Jojo decide to move up to the wheelhouse and Dean's looking at the spotlight that isn't on yet, and I'm lining it up to the beach. It's, you know, 100 yards away or so. And then he goes, yeah, right about there, Tom. And with all three of us looking, we turn on the spotlight. Lo and behold, and the commercial fishboat spotlight, which is, you know, real big. I don't know how many candle water or anything, but it's big. It lit up that beach. And there's a big one that drops to his knee and pulls his arm up in front of his face to cover his face. And a smaller one drops to her knees, and she has her fetal position on her knees with her head on the ground with her arms over it, and her butt's pointing towards us, and her brown hair covered. And we knew exactly what we were seeing. We are trying to change our minds. Oh, it's a deer. 
<laughs> Gene's like, no, it's no deer. And, you know, we're looking at it, and we're moving a spotlight around. After about 10 minutes, I figure, let's see if we can get these things moving. Oh, no, we told Jojo, look at the camera. So she runs to the galley. She grabs the 35-millimeter Instamatic camera, comes <laughs> running up to the wheelhouse, pulls it out of the case, goes to take a picture. All of a sudden, damn, no film. Drawers are being opened and slammed or ripping through the boat trying to look for a film, which we never did find. And so then we, out in the bow, I remember jumping up and down, go on, move, move, trying to get these two creatures to move. I wanted to see more of them. They were just solid. And you could see how that male with his left arm in front of his face breathing, you'd see the reflection of two eyes, one eye, one and a half eye, two eyes, one, one and a half eye. And underneath the right arm of the one in the fetal position on lower down on the beach, with her butt sticking to us, you could see her green eye under her armpit looking out towards the spotlight. So this is going on for, you know, for well over 10 minutes now, trying to get these things moving, whistling at them, yelling, you name it. They were not moving. And then all of a sudden I'm like, hey, that's like having a scratch-and-win ticket worth millions of dollars. Smithsonian Institution, you know, maybe the UCLA University in California, you know, maybe some big, rich gazillionaire. They're going to want this critter. So I'm like, Dean, go grab your gun. And I go into captain's quarters, grab my gun, put it on the open window. I think my, the windows dropped down in a pilot house of a commercial salmon seine boat made of wood. So I slide the window down. It's a perfect rest. I got my 300 Savage lined up on there for the neck of this big male, our sternum area. And uh, what do you call it? Dean comes up from downstairs. No Trevor. I thought, sure, Trevor would come up, but nope, he wouldn't. And he came up with a gun case, and he opens it up, and he pulls out his rifle. He showed up on the boat the day before with when we left port. Puts it on uh, starboard railing outside the pilot house door and he's in the kneeling position with his scope and he's, I said what are you aiming at and he goes I got the crosshairs just above just in the base of the neck and I said well I got my iron sight on the sternum I said I'll count three two one and then we'll start shooting and just keep dumping lead into that son of a bitch and Jojo she's like Tom you know the Indian stories you know the legends don't shoot it and all I'm thinking about is you know here I am a commercial fisherman and it's been a disastrous fishing season and like everyone else in the world i got financial responsibilities and here's my gravy ticket standing there kneeling or kneeling there on the beach offering me a perfect shot and no one's got this critter yet that we knew of and you get it you're going to be rich you know 40 dollars a ticket to go into seattle space needle you know think how much money they make in gate ticket sales imagine having a sasquatch in the cold box you know and uh Charging 50 bucks a ticket, you know, a million people a year, that's a lot of cash. And that's what I was thinking. And, of course, JoJo's like, you know the Indian legends, Tom. You know the Indian legends. You harm or disrespect or especially you kill a Sasquatch or shoot at it, the curse is going to come. And it might not be you dying. It'll be me and the kids, your loved ones around you that are going to die a tragic death. And I kept, that's when I started, you know, coming to my senses and um then i also i thought you know i don't even know what caliber dean's gun is so i hey dean what caliber is your gun he's like looking through the scope all ready to squeeze off when i give the order and he's like 243 and right away i didn't even hesitate i'm like barrel up barrel up barrel up <laughs> that's it. 
because the thing that went through my mind is there's no bloody way I'm gonna. I'm hesitant enough with a 300 Savage 30 cal, and here Dean's gonna let rip with a BB gun at 243. And I thought, no, no way. And because uh, I sure as hell don't want to go try to look for a wounded Sasquatch in the dark night forest. That thing gonna pop your head off like pulling tomato cherries off a tree. I thought so. We put the guns away, and that was that. Now we're looking at, you know, 15 minutes or more has gone on. Spotlight's still on these creatures. And we're just standing on the bow having a cigarette, and we're just looking at them, you know, thinking, you know, wow, this is pretty cool. You know, no one's can't say I've ever had a chance to look at a, two Sasquatches on a beach before. And we're just sitting there, and then as the captain, you know, getting past 20 minutes now, I'm thinking, you know, them sons of bitches swim out here. And I go push the button and start my diesel motor downstairs. And that spotlight's been on for over 20 minutes. And my batteries are dead. Oh, we're going to have a, got a world of hurt on our hands. So I said, okay, guys, we've got to turn the spotlight off. Turned it off. And then you could hear them moving. And you could tell they weren't moving off that beach stealth mode. They were moving off with determination. You could hear that. And the grass, you know, you got to remember, this is uh, beginning of October. The grass is probably, it's dry, it's probably five feet high, and you can hear that noise going through the grass because above the beach is a grassy knoll area. Back then, now it's big, huge spruce trees there. The spruce trees is back then were dispersed, and they're only maybe 10 feet at the highest. And then you get to the wall of spruce and cedar and hemlock, pardon me, the forest, and you hear them go through there, and you can hear their arms pushing things out of their way and you could hear the crunch cracking as they're going through that forest and they weren't in stealth mode they must have been you know, more than likely they're po'd to the max because i just had a spotlight on them for over 20 minutes and pointing guns at them and jumping up and down like a fool on the bow of my boat trying to get them to move so they were po'd i guess and uh, all of a sudden you just heard this big rotten standing tree <laughs> boom you know and that thing was you know, probably 40 feet high when we saw it the next day. But that came crashing down, and they went silent. So, being a captain, I hollered down in the engine room for Trevor. I told him, start the motor and charge the batteries. And he hit the button downstairs, and thank God she turned over. And uh, me and JoJo went to bed. Trevor's downstairs in his bunk in the forecastle. And me and Dean are just sitting on deck, BSing away, and then we're up on the bridge, having smokes, BSing away, and motors running for over an hour. And we shut her down, batteries, you know, got some charge to them. And then it wasn't five minutes after we shut her down, we're sitting on the bridge, and you can hear one of those big blue herons fly out of the head of the bay. Something spooked it, and it flew by the boat. And then that's when that big one came out onto the beach, but it was too far away for us to light up with a spotlight because that part of the bay sort of goes in further, another 100, 200 yards. It walked across down the stream part. You hear it walking on the boulders because there's a stream and a low tide, you know, it's the stream's cut through all the sediment, so it's just big brown boulders in the stream bed, and you can hear those crunching as it's walking down there, I would imagine, so it didn't leave tracks. But when it got to the low water part, it began to walk across the muddy beach. And we he was a little closer to the boat, so we lit him up again with a spotlight. But all we got was eye shine and 
there's like a mist above the beach, so he couldn't see anything. So we shut that off, and you could hear him, the big, huge, sticky, muddy footprints going through the mud beach. And then he's behind this rock point, and you could see his head pop up and his shoulders. And to me, it looked like a 45-gallon drum and a half. That's how wide it was. The thing was bloody big, and it crept along the beach. And that's when Dean, when it was right parallel with my boat, it's now within 60 yards of us because the boat, the way it's laying in this bay at anchor, and the thing's creeping along the beach. And all I remember is Dean, like, holy Christ, what is that? He, you know, you're all excited. And thing's so close now. And that thing stood up and it snorted. <sighs> and I remember seeing the big, long hairs hanging off the bicep part of its left arm as it stood up. And it just strode with these monstrous strides. Ran to the wheelhouse, throw the spotlight on, turn the thing so the beam's coming to the, going from bow to stern. And point it in the bushes where you see it grab an alder tree and pull itself up from the beach and walk into the forest. It's gone. Turn the spotlight off and you hear it going through the slough. Sound like a DA cat just pushing through that slough. Slough is a real noisy, round leaf, waxy type of leaf um, foliage in the, under the evergreen canopy in our region. And it's noisy to walk through. You can't stealth through that. This thing's going crunch, 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 and it stops. And then it whistles. And then further in the island, you hear a higher pitch whistle. And then crunch, 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 disappears. So what it was doing, it was whistling to its mate, where are you? And then they met, and I guess they went into the, my abandoned native village where we were anchored east of it, behind the village. It's like a peninsula. They went through the village, out back of the island, into the village, which is probably no more than a, less than a quarter mile, and went in to feed on the abandoned Villages, fruit trees that have gone wild that time of the year. A lot of plums, crab apples, apples, and a few blackberries, loganberries are still remaining in there. The bears have had their way with it through July, August, September, but uh, during that time of the year, I found that there's still fruit at the ends of branches and that, and places that the bears, you know, it's not worth their while to go for. It's unsafe, and now the Sasquatches go into the village and they start harvesting them. And that's why we have so much activity in our area. And that's why I brought you guys there last year, Operation Sea Monkey, and I'll be there again at the end of September, beginning of October. That's the best window, you know, September, October. You know, weather's a little bit warmer than November, December, January. And uh, anyone wants to come, Mumu Adventures, we do Sasquatch expeditions and adventures and, you know, you know, I like bringing people out there, and one of the ways is we go out with a kayak, so we're stealth, a double kayak, which is very stable. If it's just one person, if there's more, I can bring speed boats and hire big boats, but going with a kayak in September is wicked. And we just go camp around, night set up at night times, and if you have a flurry, you might want to bring it. I'm going to contract you up, because if we do get conclusive proof, you split everything equally, all the profits from it, you know. Sasquatch is a business, and you know, I'm full disclosure with everyone. So every time I go out investigating, researching, I always pull out a piece of paper and we write up a contract, sign off, date it, and we all get our copies. Because, you know, like I had with the guns, you shoot it, you got a multi-million dollar scratch and win ticket, and you just came up spades and you're a winner. I'm not going to do that, but if you shoot it with a video, a FLIR especially, and video camera and digital recorder for the sound, and you get good enough stuff, you know, you look at uh, Roger Patterson's clip, you know, how many, how much money that clip has generated through the decades. 
And, you know, when the next one comes out, and especially if it's really something that shuts the skeptics up, you know, you're going to make millions off that. So there you go. We had the pleasure of um, coming up with you during uh, Operation Sea Monkey this last year, and uh, we you took us um, through the, the area of these islands, and um, we didn't have anything that was conclusive. Uh, we had, you know, some interesting uh, audio stuff a couple times that, that people reported hearing, but it's, uh, you know, and people, some people commented that, you know, well, you didn't come back with anything. Well, it's it's always, just like everything when you're going out looking for a Bigfoot, even if you're going out deer hunting or elk hunting, it's, you're not always going to get uh, something every time um, or else they wouldn't be hunting. It'd just be finding, you know, just, it, it was kind of a preliminary trip into this area and, and to get familiar with, with, uh, with, the layout of the land, so to speak, and it was uh, a fascinating uh, adventure. We had Thomas Steenberg with us, and of course Todd Neese was there, Victoria Williams, and uh, Ron. Excuse me, Ron, and I'm forgetting Ron's name, but they Moorhead. actually did. Thank Ron Moorhead and and the other Ron, the uh, who did the cinematography. And sorry, Ron, I I uh, I know who you are. <laughs> but but uh I, I know that there was some uh conversation about about doing that again and uh it's it's a excellent area to that has tons of food. In fact one morning you went out and, and came back with a, a bucket full of of clams and and uh to show what the the abundance of protein source that was in the area. And um, one of the cool things is I, because you lived, you were kind of immersed in that, that whole area for years and years. And so you have intimate knowledge of that whole area. And, and in, with your interest in Sasquatch and your uh, very inquisitive mind, you have developed some theories about uh, movement and, and how they uh, might uh, travel between islands and and come from the main island over to these islands, and that is a subject that we'll have to do a whole nother show on because uh, that was one of the reasons that uh, Operation Sea Monkey uh, came about. And uh, just because it's kind of a, a playful name, don't think it wasn't actually a serious outing. It was. Um, uh, we weren't just sitting on the boat, you know, sipping mai tais. There was. There was actual research going on. We spent some uh, long nights uh, surveying uh, shorelines with with therms, and and uh, it was. Uh, and we had a, actually had a uh, experience with a, a grizzly bear on the beach. But uh, again, that's uh, I, I've told that story on on uh, the show a few times. So, <laughs> uh, but Thomas, I I want to thank you for uh, joining us. For these two episodes, uh, we'd love to have you come back on again because I know that you uh, have tons more uh, to share on the subject of Sasquatch. And uh, I wish you uh, nothing but good luck with uh, Sasquatch Island. I'm sure it's going to be a big hit. And uh, I would encourage people that that, uh, would 
uh, enjoy seeing uh, this kind of what Thomas is proposing for uh, a conference based on uh, First Nations uh, and indigenous people's perspective on the subject to uh, get a hold of Thomas and uh, uh, let's get that thing going. Because I, I, for one, that it's never been, again, it's never been done. uh, And um, the same as the perspective with Sasquatch Island is this, you're approaching things from a perspective that uh, has huge, to me, historical benefit and and um, benefit with the knowledge of of the, your culture to the Bigfoot community because it's it's something that's just ingrained in and it has such a different feel about it than the way that that uh, what has been done before. So. Um, Thomas, I thank you again for joining us on Monster X Radio. Oh, it's been fun. I'll definitely be back again because uh, I've only given you one encounter. The second encounter was 2006 with my sister when she was trying to be Jesus and walk across the water. She was so scared. (laughs) And then the third encounter, which I haven't released yet, but I'd like to release it here pretty soon. It didn't take place just one time. third encounter took place over a two-month period where we're had some pretty good stuff going on but that's like i say another time i thank you very much for putting me on and by all means people go to sasquatch island ask to join there's no repetition posts on there meaning stuff you've seen on other pages aren't there it's all stuff i've put together on our region of northern vancouver island and the first nations indian perspective you'll enjoy it you have to ask to join and if you want to take a tour with me, be it a couple hours in the city, Sasquatch Safari, or out in the bush for multi-days or on boats, amumuadventures.com. And I thank you all very much. I look forward to being back on Monster X. And don't forget, drink your Squatch coffee because it's pretty good. And I'm going to the kitchen <laughs> and grab another one. And thank you all. all right, I'll go in peace. Yeah. yeah, right. Thanks, buddy. We will talk to you again soon. Okay. <laughs>